We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson, and I'm in studio with Jasmine Allnut. And we're so excited to bring you another woman you should know. Yes. So, Jasmine, who do you have for us today? Well, we could we might be able to call this women you should yes, know because there was a little team that we're going to talk about with, I guess, highlighting one particularly. But today we are going to talk about Mildred Cable and her friends Eva and Francesca French. So, who were French? So, what a convenient last name for them. (laughs) Just totally works. And they went to? They were in China. They were in different areas, as we'll see. Um, Primarily, what they're most known for is their work in the northern province of Kansu, which is along the Gobi Desert. I was going to say the Gobi Desert is what I remember. All their adventures in the Gobi Desert. Okay. Interestingly enough, though, it's Mm. like these three women partnered together. And they were with China Inland Mission? Yes, they were. Yeah, And, you know, China Inland Mission was one of the first uh, to allow women into the mission field. Because I'm studying um, about another missionary I'll talk about at another time. Mm -hmm. But in 1909, she had to get special permission to be a female missionary. Wow. Because she was single? Because she was single. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was something I think that they really had to... Come to embrace over time. Mm-hmm. That wasn't but always But Hudson common. Taylor never had a problem with He that. was amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't mind if they weren't educated. He said, I just want people who want to share the gospel. That's right. You know, very simple. Mm-hmm. I love that about him. So, yes. Okay, so him. let's talk about, yes. okay, let's talk about um, Mabel first. Yes. How and did she get called? So Mildred. Oh, Mildred. Was, well, you're closer. Mabel to is mine. You're thinking of the other one right now. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to be doing Mabel in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> There's a teaser, folks. Yes. There's a there lady named Mabel you would yes, hear about. somebody <laughs> named Mabel you should know. That's right. <laughs> Mildred. So Mildred is, yeah, she's kind of, she's the one who tells most of their stories. So we get it through her eyes a lot. So Mildred was raised in a, a very disciplined Victorian home in England. And when she was little, um, a phrenologist came to visit her family. A phrenologist, they are not common now, but yeah, exactly. Cheryl is touching her head right now because that's what they did. That's right. They were these, I don't know if you want to call them quack doctors, but kind of. They would feel your head and it would tell them all about your psychology and your personality, Right, because they were looking for bumps. Yeah, and, certain bumps yes. and weird. It was so bizarre. Anyway, yes. so the phrenologist said when he felt Mab- uh, Mildred's head— he said, here is one to whom faith will always be difficult. A strange <laughs> pronouncement, right? So he basically yes. just kind of uh, yeah, you'll never go condemned anywhere. her as, yes, right. condemned her as you will never really have faith in God or confidence. Okay, or, that's a really good point, yeah. too, because I know that there are women out there who have mm. had a negative word Ooh. spoken over them yes. that they sometimes they believed. Yes. And just the, the fact that this negative word about her was so wrong. Yes, it so, was so don't believe off. those negative words because God has a better word. Okay, Amen. moving on. <laughs> that is actually a really important point, though. That's really good because that is what happened to her as a young girl. She mm-hmm. grew up with that stigma and that, that negative word over her head kind of hanging there like, well, you'll never, you know, really be—God um, will never favor you. You can never really do anything because— you have a hard time with faith. So she had this kind of unhealthy fear of God. She also had a governess who was very strict um, and very focused on keeping all of the cable children in line and, 
keeping them from going to hell and all of that sort of thing. So Mildred grew up not only afraid of hell, but she also dreaded heaven and the presence of God mm. because she thought, well, I don't have faith, so obviously God doesn't want me. So she just had this sense that God was going to judge her at any moment and that, you know, when she went to bed at night, she would worry about waking up in hell. I mean, imagine just as a little eight, nine, ten-year-old girl having all of that condemnation, all that fear in your life. It was terrible. Um, but what is so cool, I love how the Lord knows how to meet us and he can find his way into the most difficult uh, situation like this or into our greatest doubts and fears. He can speak a word to give light. And so when she was 12 years old, uh, she had a dream one night about Jesus playing with a bunch of little kids like oh, her. Wow. And that dream, it was so real to her that when she woke up, she just knew that he was a God of love, mm. that God was a God of love. Mm. And she even said that as she went on um, in her teenage years, she began to realize more and more that God was revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so whenever she would have those condemning thoughts, she would look to the face of Jesus and remember that dream. And it just totally, you know, just restored her and gave her a proper vision and view of who God is. And so kind of like Mary Slessor, remember she had the hellfire and brimstone preached at her, but right. when she realized, oh, God loves me and Jesus loves me. It changed everything. Well, you know, that's exactly what Paul says too. He says it's mm. the love of God that compels us. Yes. And until we get a right understanding of how much God loves us. Yes. And how loving he is, mm. we'll never have that burden for other people to know that love. Totally. So that's, you know, this is the first step to becoming, I believe, an evangelist. Absolutely. Is when you're so convinced of God's love for you and God's love for God so loved the world, mm. then Paul says, oh, then it compels you. Yes. It's your driving force. Yes. So I love that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, how old was she when she felt called to China? Well, what happened was um, she went to uh, a children's mission, like a VBS, when she was a teenager. And that's when she committed herself fully to the Lord. And she started reading missionary stories, mm -hmm. martyr stories. She started listening to Women You Should Know podcasts <laughs> and realized, <laughs> Absolutely. wait a minute. This is, yeah. <laughs> so her heart was just really touched by these stories. She got in touch with some um, people in the area who were part of Keswick, and she just resonated with that that passion for Jesus and And we've their mentioned heart. before that Keswick yes. was this conference that was held in the Lake District in England. Mm -hmm. And it's just actually a campsite mm -hmm. that these people would go up to and they'd have um, inspirational Christian speakers yeah. speak there. And yeah. uh, my father was one of those speakers who yes, spoke and Graham Lotz has spoken there. These are contemporary speakers. Yes. But that was, it was a big part of a lot of mm. uh, those that we talk about their lives. Like it Amy, really was. Carmichael, Mary Slessor. And Trotter. Then, yep. Yes. Yep. And then here, Mildred Cable. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It touched a lot of people's lives. And so that's when she really began to grow. And then in 1893, so she's 15 turning 16 at this point. She's on holiday and she gets a message from her pastor about this uh, special speaker coming to the church for the China Inland Mission. And he just thought he'd let her know, but she really felt like she needed to be there. And so she went to this meeting. She cut her holiday short and went and after the meeting, Mildred was walking home with this uh, missionary woman. It was a lady who had been speaking, a single woman missionary. And they're walking along. And all of a sudden, the missionary says to Mildred, I think the Lord wants you in China. And Mildred's like, whoa, like kind of bold, quit trying to speak into my life, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she gets a little bit defensive. And so she says, well, I don't want to be a missionary. And if I did, I'd go to India. So there, <laughs> you know, just being, I don't know if she was trying to be um, like bratty about it, but yeah. I think she was just kind of like, wait yeah. a minute, who are yeah. you? And so um, the woman dropped it. Nobody said anything else the rest of the walk, but it planted a seed. And so 
you know, she just couldn't stop thinking about what this woman said. And she said, maybe I'll look at the China Inland Mission a little bit. Let's research this a little. So she starts learning about them and real, and she just becomes more and more intrigued with how they conducted their ministry. And again, like you said, because she had come to understand the love of Jesus, the Lord was starting to really compel her, like, Mildred, I want you to go share this mm-hmm. love that I've given you with others who don't know it. And so uh, by 16, by the age of 16, she had decided uh, that she was going to be a missionary to China. And she was a very intense, devoted girl. And so um, her biography actually talks about that. It says her intense nature was one that could not tolerate a feeble purpose or a divided heart. So from that hour, nothing was allowed to enter her life untouched by its central enthusiasm. So it was just one of those things where you so just she know. had a lot of faith. She did. She did. The phrenologist had no clue what he was talking nope. about. So nope. <laughs> that's good. I like that. So her parents, uh, you know, she might have been all in, but her parents, especially her mom, uh, she was a little bit hesitant about this because she was thinking, well, Mildred's only 16. This is just youthful excitement. She doesn't really know what she wants to do. And they really wanted her to go to a music conservatory. But her mom said, okay, you can go to this China Inland Mission training school just to get this out of your system. Fine. And, and you'll realize that that's not really what you want to do. But of course it backfired. <laughs> Mildred really did want to do it even more after she um, went and started the training school. It made her more and more resolved. And so finally her parents relented and uh, she went, like I said, especially her mom. I'll talk about her dad in a minute. But um, they finally said, okay, you can go. And so she went uh, to London and she actually studied science with a pioneer female scientist. Kind of interesting. So somebody that was kind of new, you know, a woman that was new in that field and a Christian godly woman and Mildred just so looked up to her and trained under her. And uh, during this time, she also got involved with a really um, vibrant church in North London. Um, She didn't say, it's kind of funny, she didn't mention what it was. I was trying to research and find what church that was. I do know, my mom told me later in life, she and G. Campbell Morgan were friends. So Mm. I don't know if he was somehow connected with that. Yeah, and that would have been Westminster Chapel. Okay, so maybe it was something along those lines. So yeah, she was, for some reason, very mysteriously, (laughs) didn't talk about which Mm -hmm. church, but... Mm -hmm. All that to say, it really, her walk with the Lord was just blossoming all over the place. She got to know a young man who was really interested in China as well, and they seemed really like-minded. And so they got engaged. It was just like, wow, you know, the Lord Mm -hmm. is working Mm -hmm. and heading everything that direction. But then, dun, 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 then came the summer of 1900. And in the summer of 1900, do you remember what happened then? The Boxer Rebellion. Oh, right. Uh, yes. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. I knew you knew. I just caught you off guard. I so. thought it was 1901, so I was no, a little cl- off. Uh, one, I was a year off. One year. I think that's okay. <laughs> I'll let it go. So the Boxer Rebellion breaks out. And we've mentioned the Boxer Rebellion mm-hmm. before. Um, in Chinese, it was the Tatahui. I don't know if that's how you say it, but it was translated in English that's to the very Boxers. very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, I knew how to say that, right? Yes. <laughs> And so they uh, were basically like an insurrectionist group that hated Westerners. And so they went around and just started massacring uh, missionaries and uh, even Chinese Christians. They didn't want any Christian influence. So a lot of people were essentially martyred during that time. Right. Well, they were afraid that the Westerners were coming in and trying to turn the Chinese to Westerners. Yes. And that's where you see the wisdom of Hudson Taylor, who uh, started the China Inland Mission. In that he felt that, and I love this, Mm. that every missionary should be an incarnation because Jesus became a man Mm. and lived among men so that 
uh, you know, any Westerner who went to China should dress like the Chinese, eat like the Chinese, and yes. know how they lived. Yes. Because Jesus lived like us in mm. order to minister to us. Mm. And that was a philosophy with the China Inland Mission, which in some ways, because mm. in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about uh, Rosalind Goforth. Mm. And they mm-hmm. were there during the Boxer Rebellion. In fact, mm. there's a book that I won't read, but I have read called A Thousand Miles of Miracles. Oh, I love that one. Yes. yes. Yep. That is such a good one about yeah mm-hmm. their escape during that time. But yes, that is part of, I agree, that is was the, I don't know if you want to say the genius of Hudson Taylor, mm-hmm. but to recognize, we don't want them to think that this is Western. We yeah. want them to know Jesus didn't is convert, for them. We didn't come to convert them to Westernism yes. or yeah. Western ideas. Uh, we came to bring them Jesus right yes. there in their culture. Yes. Yes. He okay. is for you and for mm-hmm. your culture. I love that. So, um, yeah, so the rebellion breaks out. All these people are getting massacred, not just among the China and the mission, but a lot of missionaries across mm-hmm. the board and all That's of right. the different you know, denominations and groups. And um, Mildred found out that the missionary, that missionary woman who had inspired her to you know, go to China in the first place, was one of the first to be murdered. Mm-hmm. She had actually been hacked to pieces and thrown down a well. I mean, it was just horrific and mm-hmm. graphic what happened mm-hmm. to her. And so Mildred was really shaken up by this. And not only was she shaken up, but her fiance was really kind of freaked out about this whole thing. And he told Mildred, you know, I just can't go to China now. There's no way. If you still feel like you're you, you're called to go, then adios. I mean, really, he really was just kind yeah. of like, we're going to end the relationship then. Wow. And so Mildred was kind of devastated here. She thought they were on the same page and like-minded and were a team. But she already had known from the time she was 16 that the Lord had called her. And so... She felt like, okay, I just have to let that die, let that relationship go. And it was really, really hard. She writes about how she really had to isolate for several months to just heal from that. And just, well, obviously the trauma of this woman being murdered, let alone her fiance breaking up with her, all of these things. It just was a very difficult time. But by the following year, 1901, she felt like, okay, Lord, I I still feel called. I'm ready to go. The Mm. Lord really did a work in her. And it was really sweet because um, when she was getting ready to go, her dad came to her. And I feel like this has happened with so many people that we talk about. His, her dad came and said, uh, you know, uh, Mildred, I actually dedicated you to the Lord for foreign mm. missions when you were a mm-hmm. baby. And he didn't mm-hmm. tell her till she was ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of what her mom thought, her dad always kind of knew. And, and that was Evelyn her. Brand. Her mother had yes. dedicated her. Yes, we find it's that. Crazy. It's crazy. There's so this fun. theme yes. here, you know. Yes. And so— <laughs> So what an encouragement to her, like, okay, this is God's plan, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I'm sure she was second guessing after losing her fiance and right. hearing about all these right. murders. So right. to know this is the Lord's plan. So she gets to China and almost instantly, and again, I think this was the Lord's hand as well. She meets Evangeline French, who mm-hmm. had already been serving for several years in China. She had made it through the Boxer Rebellion, weathered that storm. And um, they both had really strong personalities. And so a lot of people were kind of unsure about them working together, but they totally hit it off. I think, again, it was a divine relationship really formed there, a divine friendship, because they just connected and were so like-minded that they were able to really serve together for the rest of their lives, as we'll see. So they decided to go serve in the town of Huochao. And um, again, this was right after the rebellion. So everybody's still kind of shell-shocked and still kind of like not sure how to pick up the pieces. And so Mildred and Eva... Evangeline Eva, they decide that a fresh start is needed. Like, we need to just kind of do something new and different. And so they'd open a girl's school. They're like, we're just going to start a school. And then a little bit later, Mildred starts a Bible school to equip for evangelism, Bible teaching. 
And these things just thrived. It was just something to, for people to, okay, let's get our eyes back on the Lord and on what he calls us to do here. And so it, it just exploded and did really well. Uh, in 1910, again, this is about eight, nine years down the road, Francesca, Eva's sister, joins them. She had been uh, staying with their mother who was, a, I can't remember if she was an invalid or just unwell. Um, and then when their mom died, she felt like she was released to come and join them. Uh, she was two years younger than Eva. And so together, the three of them became the trio. That's what they became known as. So 10, year, 10 more years go by. I'm skipping ahead because these are the school years. They're working at the school. They're just happily serving watching the Lord work um, there in Huo Chao. And then in the summer of 1922, 23, somewhere in that area, um, they're at a retreat and they hear about the unreached province of Kansu that bordered on the Gobi Desert. And so um, they asked about that. For some reason, all three of them were really intrigued and, and interested. And they didn't know why. They just all had this sense like, huh, we need to find out more. So they go and, and inquire um, to find out like, well, what kind of people would you be wanting to send up to Kansu? And they were really surprised. They thought maybe, you know, their age might disqualify them because by now Eva is 54, Francesca's 52, and Mildred is 45. So she was the baby. And they kind of thought, well, they probably want young people to go up to a desert region that's difficult. But they were surprised to find out that uh, experience, missionary experience was actually much more valued in that kind of ministry and in that region. And so they kind of thought, well, why not apply and see what happens? So they applied to go. Um, now, in their minds, you know, they became more and more confirmed in the call. But everybody around them was like, oh, honey, come on. You guys are <laughs> you guys are just bored with what you're doing because you've been at the school for so long. You guys are restless. And not only that, but you guys are way too old for this. Like, OK, yes, experience. But we're thinking maybe somebody in their 30s or 40s, not like in their 50s and stuff. So, uh, you know, they felt very by man, they felt uh, disqualified. But as we've heard many times, going back to even Gladys Aylward, our first podcast, the Lord qualifies, mm -hmm. and so uh, they felt kind of foolish. But in the end, the mission said, "Okay, you guys can go." And so they they headed off in 1923. Okay, too. When we talk about they headed off, what I remember about them is again, kind of like uh, Lily's Trotter, they were camping. Yes, they were camping. They were doing tents. So camping is camping. like just very difficult for me. So <laughs> I admire people who camp. And that's yes. what they, in the Gobi Desert. The call to camp. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And even sometimes not even knowing where the next town was, just walking oh. to find it. I mean, they're adventures. And that's where I pick up. I mean, the books that I have didn't give the backstory, mm -hmm. but they're telling their adventures. Yes. And just how God comes through, even with the peril of robbers, right? Yes. Yeah. And they're, yeah. And, and one of the main stories about them is called Something Happened for that yes. reason. Because I had that. something that's kept happening. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I love that book. Everywhere yeah. they went. And so, yeah, so they, you know, this is not, yeah, we're just going to stay in different houses along the way and in nice beds. No, yes. they were, exactly like Cheryl said, they were camping the whole way. But on their way, you know, again, in the early stages, they were still feeling kind of insecure, like, are we called to this? They stop at a mountain village, and there was a people there who had heard the gospel. And when the three women showed up, they said, oh, you're just the people that we prayed for because you're experienced. We didn't wow. want any young people wow. coming in here. And it was such a confirmation to them, like, oh, Lord, we are called to this. And so they stayed for six months with those people. And it was just such a fruitful time. Eventually, they make their way to uh, Su Chao, which is City of Prodigals. Um, that was kind of the hub for all of the oasis towns in the desert. And it was kind of like a, like a crossroads. And so it was a place where 
a lot of people would come through and they figured this is a great hub. We can hand out gospel tracts, Bible literature, and it'll go all over the place uh, throughout all of the Oasis villages. And that's exactly what happened. It all started getting disseminated. And once they start learning, started learning the lay of the land themselves and some of the desert trade routes, they decided, well, we should just start traveling ourselves. Let's not just send off this literature. We should start traveling to these towns in the Gobi. And the Lord, you know, provided miraculously all the Christian literature they needed, the finances. Again, you want to read the book because it's crazy how the Lord just took care of all of these needs. Of course, <laughs> something happened is out of print. So, Oh, yeah. Well, there are some other ones. And we will post those yes. on the link so you guys can, yeah, so you guys can check them out. Go ahead. No, that was it. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so— um, because they had, what was cool was they had handed out a lot of literature before they started traveling. So as they went along, what they found was that as they traveled, they would come to a village and people already knew who they were. Um, they had heard the gospel through one of the tracks like, oh, I read one of your messages or I, re or I read one of your little booklets that you passed out. Okay. Not only was it treacherous for women, but mm -hmm. on the other hand, um, women were not considered a threat to the villages. That's exactly. That's in my, how did oh, you know that was let's there? Go. No, let's that's go. great. That was, and that was a big thing too, that made them approachable. Mm -hmm. I mean, these, it was so cool. Like I said, if you read the stories, um, like I said, there were several books you can find. If you can't find one that's out of print, there are plenty that are. And, um, you know, they preached Jesus so naturally mm -hmm. and came to the people just where they were at. And because they were older women, they were seen as very non-threatening and approachable and uh, the people began to call them our missionaries. You know, if they showed up in a village and people were like, yes. who are those people? Oh, it's our missionaries. It's well, fine. Well, also, too, the Gobi hadn't had anyone reaching out to them before. Exactly. These people this in these so oasis towns. So for them to have these women coming in mm -hmm. to this, um, it wasn't a nice area to live Not in. Not at all. Any of these Not places. And so Very when rough. these women would sacrifice and go to these outposts, so to speak, mm -hmm. that nobody else wanted— it meant so much to the people. I mean, mm -hmm. right away, the people felt like you came all this way to tell yeah, us why about you this story. Yes. So that exactly. went a long way. Oh, it totally did. And what they found, what was really interesting, they found a lot of um, seekers, a lot mm -hmm. of spirit people on spiritual pilgrimage, uh, Buddhists and different ones. And a lot of them had this same, there was like this recurring theme that they were all burdened by sin, mm -hmm. which is so interesting, you know, without knowing the gospel or anything, they knew there was something they had to atone for. And so just the natural way that the women were able to say, you know what, we have an answer for you yes. to how to re yes. be relieved of your sins. And I believe it's in something happened that mm. even you get some of their little evangelistic messages. Yes. Yeah. And I love it. There's because, some snippets. Yeah. yeah. It will tell you exactly what they said to this person. Oh, it's so cool. And you're like, oh, that's really good. Yes. It was just so, so gracious and gentle mm -hmm. and insightful, mm -hmm. like just bringing them to Jesus right. graciously right. and lovingly. It was so sweet. So they did. So what they decided to do was, you know, they decided to spend the winter months in City of Prodigals as their base uh, for about four months. And then the other eight months of the year, they would go out and travel all of these desert trade routes. And they did this for 13 years, which is crazy because that puts Eva and Francesca into their, their late 60s. 60s. Mm -hmm. Yes, and Mildred in her mid-late 50s. And kind of like what um, Cheryl was saying before, I just want to read this quote because it was just kind of their perspective on the hardships and the, and the you know, challenges that they would face in this environment. Um, but Mildred wrote, to capture these trade routes for God, to throw up a highway for the Lord, to make ready in the desert a pathway for God became their ambition. 
with such a glorious task ahead, what mattered physical discomforts, dirty inns, flies, blue bottles, mosquitoes, bitter desert water, heat, cold, occasional shortness of food, and a hard life? Eh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, there was just that, again, like what Cheryl said at the beginning, the love of Christ compelling yeah, them. But it they just, were, you know. They were intrepid, and there was a yeah, special anointing were, on them. There was. For just uh, such a ministry. And mm-hmm. even the way that they all three got along. I mean, I, yes. I I was reading something that there was never a crossword between them and nope. never never even a thought of a crossword. They knew that Man. they were commissioned by yes. Jesus to do this. Yes, absolutely. And they were able to work anything that anything that would have become a tense situation or problem. They were able to navigate it because of that sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really is just, it's such a beautiful story, even just reading their, hearing about their friendship, right. uh, as well as their travels and everything. And, um, you know, there was a lot of encouragement, a lot of confirmation. They were warmly received in many places, like we said, because they were approachable, these uh, cute older ladies. Um, but there was resistance sometimes from Buddhists um, because they didn't like the exclusivity of Christianity or uh, they also had a really hard time dealing with the opium addiction right. that had really that fallen on China by then. Yeah, it was just so hard to try to minister in that kind of a uh, situation. And so there was a lot of spiritual warfare as well. There were bandits, all those things. And I, I like this quote as well. It kind of ties into something Cheryl's been talk, uh, mentioning lately, not on this podcast, but recently. Uh, <laughs> quote, on the missionary herself, there inevitably falls an overpowering sense of helplessness in the face of such a display of evil, the very intention of which is to convince her she is engaged in a hopeless task. There is nothing to be done for people so degraded. This is not the place to look for converts. Go some, to some easier field. You will have nothing to show for your work here. And so that's just, in all honesty, her relating some of the lies that the enemy would tell them mm-hmm. and stuff. But this, like I said, this is something you mentioned recently that we see as a thread in a lot of these uh, stories, that the battle is spiritual. Absolutely. And we have to realize mm-hmm. that, that this is not flesh and blood mm-hmm. going on here. Mm-hmm. I even have to remember that in our current oh, you know, cultural environment yes. right now, that yes. there is a spiritual war happening. And the women had to take those thoughts captive. And Lily's Trotter even dealt with this a lot and realized, no, we're going to go to battle in prayer and we're going to seek the Lord. In fact, they would pray and ask the Lord to direct them to the people that were ready for harvest. Mm -hmm. Lord, will you lead us to those open people? And it was amazing. Again, like over and over again, something happened and they'd find these people that were open, that were ready, that yeah. just needed the gospel. And, and their ministry was fruitful. I mm, think that we very. want to bring that out, that there were um, like converts every place mm-hmm, they went. Mm-hmm. And there was a real sense of fruitfulness, too, to yes. their ministry, where there are some people that there's like no fruit, I no know, fruit. They're I just, they're, they're the sowers. Trailblazers. Yes, yes, the sowers. And so it was, what a beautiful thing for them to get to yes. see so much fruit at all of these desert oases. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, in 1929, there was a mutiny in the army um, in the city of Prodigals. And so you have all these disgruntled soldiers raiding all of these oasis villages that the trio were ministering in. And God basically just helped them stay ahead the whole time, stay ahead of the threat, which was, again, another big part of their story. They would find the kindness from a random Mandarin governor that they didn't even know. At uh, one time, they were um, in a really precarious situation and a Catholic man showed up. It was like, wait, what are you doing here? There's no Catholics out here. You know, he comes, he has his rosary and his cross on his neck. And he said, oh, come here, I'll take you to safety on this farm. And so (laughs) they end up on this farm. They share the gospel with all these people in this farming village. And those people get saved. Uh, Again, kind of like what Cheryl was saying, um, because of their their willingness to go where nobody else would go, there was such an openness. So 
eventually, though, you know, over time, they realized, oh, my goodness, some of this um, insurrection is really beginning to heat up. And so by 1935, they realized they probably weren't going to be able to go back to City of Prodigals. They found themselves being driven further and further north. Eventually, they realized, oh, we're being driven over into Russia. I guess we might as well keep going and go home. So <laughs> they cross all the way across Asia to get back home to England by 1936. I remember that. Oh, like, my even goodness. crossing the Russia, that was amazing. Yes. Yes. And so, uh, and, you know. And this is by foot, again. This is crazy. by foot. Yes. And this is 1935. There are cars, there are trucks. They yeah. did get a ride from some— Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, but, but there was, yeah. like, one ride yeah, they from would get... soldiers. I yes, yeah, 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 yes. yeah, 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 yeah. And so <laughs> it's quite a story. Again, yes. you guys want to read it for all the details. But Mildred uh, ended up uh, uh, becoming a writer, speaker, um, worked for the Foreign Bible Society in England the rest of her life. She and Francesca wrote several books together. I mentioned Something Happened several times. Uh, they also wrote the story of Topsy, who was a little deaf and dumb girl that they adopted. That's a precious story. So good. I uh, remember that now. Yes. yes. The Gobi Desert, uh, yes. Through the Jade Gate in Central Asia. And then there's also, I just want to also mention, there are also youth versions of a lot of these books. The Christian Heroes Then and Now series by Janet and Jeff Benj. They have a Mildred Cable one. Do they It's called really? Through the Jade Gate. Yeah. Wow. So that's a good one yes. for teenagers as well. Yes. Uh, so you want to hear their story. I just want to close, though, on, on this by saying at the end of their um, service, when they got back to England, they realized, you know, after talking to people that had supported and been praying for them, they knew prayer. They, they could almost trace exactly when prayer had seen them through so many crazy situations. So what an encouragement that is not just to, to go on the mission field, but to pray and support those that go. And that's when we get to Roslyn Goforth, we're going to find out so much about those who are praying. Yes. Here. I love it. Um, you know, well, actually, mainly Canada and the United States for the Goforth. Mm, and that's mm -hmm, what he attributes mm -hmm. so much of his success. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, um, you know, we've said this before, but if you have women that we should know about, if you know somebody that you think, oh, my goodness, Cheryl and Jasmine need to know about this person, then we definitely want to hear from you. So you can. So um, thank you so much for joining That's us. Right. We've loved having you. And hopefully you enjoyed hearing about uh, this wonderful woman, Mildred uh, Cable. Yeah, because you're going to meet him in heaven. Yes, that's right. So this is Jasmine Allnut and Cheryl Broderson signing off. God bless. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.